But today, we continue our series uh, from John Ortberg's book, All the Places You Go. How will you know? How are you going to know what to do? God has placed before you an open door. What will you do? Life is all about decisions. You realize that. We don't like making decisions a lot of times. We like for somebody else to make them for us so we can gripe about them. But we make decisions, and then our decisions make us. The decisions we're talking about are little decisions and big decisions, but mostly they're the, they're, they're the doors that God opens for us, the opportunities that we have to do something for him. As I've said before, the doors that God opens for us are opportunities to walk with him, to make a difference in the lives of the people who are around us, and to prepare ourselves for eternity. Here's what Jesus said. Uh, recorded in the book of the Revelation, the last book uh, of New Testament scripture. Uh, Jesus said this to the church at Philadelphia, which was a city in the Roman province of Asia. Revelation chapter 3, verse 8. God said to this church, I know your deeds. He could say that to us. I know all about you. I know everything about you. I know your deeds. I know who you are. See, I have placed before you an open door. That's what this whole series is about. I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength. I know that you're not big and powerful and intelligent and rich and all that kind of stuff. I know that you have little strength, yet you have done this. You've kept my word and you have not denied my name. This door that Jesus is talking about is a door opened by God, cannot be closed by any power other than God. It's not based on the influence and the financial power uh, of the church at Philadelphia or on yours. Going through this door is not about getting money, getting power, getting fame, getting security, getting influence. It's about becoming what God wants us to be and about blessing others in the process. Now, of course, I always like to say that doesn't mean you have to be poor and without influence your, your entire life. Yes, God may bless us with money and power and comfort and influence and in fact has done that for everybody that's sitting in this room this morning. All I'm saying is that's not the primary purpose, the primary reason that God opens doors. Now, uh, as we've gone through the lessons in, in house groups and the sermons on Sunday morning, the first two lessons we've learned that two of the keys for recognizing and going through a divinely open door are faith, number one, and love, number two. As we practice trusting God and loving others, we get better at identifying divinely open doors and walking through those open doors. One of the things that we learned in lesson number two is, that, is this, that choosing doors always involves a process, right? It begins with, I recognize opportunity. It takes a while, but I, I recognize, okay, there is a, an open door or maybe more than one open door. I identify my options. This is what I could possibly do as I look at this door or these doors, I evaluate those options and I choose the best option and I walk through the door based on that. And then I learn some things. My faith grows and I learn some things. Uh, I, I didn't know everything was going to happen, but I learned some things after I get through. Now, lesson number three in the house group study and chapter six in the book is called How to Cross a Threshold. And the basic idea of, of, of this lesson is how we go through a divinely open door may be just as important as which door we go through. How many of you, and this is not a test or you don't get scored on this, just, I'm just curious, how many of you have, have read chapter six in the book 
uh, that we're reading together. Okay? A few people have. How many of you have gone have, in your house group have done lesson number three already? Okay? No, we have not done it at our house. No. So some of you have. Okay. We have not. Uh, Here's the reason I mentioned that is that in each one of these house group lessons, and you would love it if you went to house group in these videos, there's a, a man and a woman uh, who have walked through a divinely open door. And, and in the first couple of lessons, it's all about medical students and doctors and, and people that were tremendously uh, successful in business and stuff like that. But what I love about lesson number three is that it's a lady who drives a bus in San Francisco and a man who's a carpenter and not well educated. But they take the skills, the jobs that they have and they use them for God. And, and that's what I like so much about it is because sometimes we, we see these grandiose schemes that people have and we get the idea that's just for them, that's just for those people with great opportunities and great skills. No, it's for, it's for everybody. Uh, one of John Ortberg's statements, by the way, and I just threw a, throw a few things out because I want you to read it, and I'd like for you to go to house groups if you, if you possibly can. He says this, though, it's better to go through the wrong door with your best self than the best door with your wrong self. What he's saying is uh, it's more about you and who you become than ex the exact decisions that you make. There are a couple of key words in the chapter. And the first one is the word wholeheartedly, and we're going to put that on the screen because that's, the, that's what the, today's message is about. It's about going through doors with your whole heart, being all in when you do something and not halfway in. There's another term that, um, that, or phrase that John uses that you're aware of. It's called buyer's remorse, you know, where we spend all of our time second-guessing ourselves. Oh, no, why did I do that? Oh, no, why did I buy that? What it would have been like? It, if I had taken a different job, what would it have been like if I bought a, a, another house? Hopefully you don't say, what would it have been like if I'd married a different man or a different woman? But uh, uh, second guessing, wholeheartedly is all in. Buyer's remorse is I spend all my time regretting what I did instead of just doing what God has called me to do. Most of America is getting ready for the big game next week. Now, the big game for you might have been the college playoffs, I'm not sure, but the big game, uh, the big party game, the, the, the game where people spend billions of dollars every year is the Super Bowl. And I don't know what's going on behind closed doors for the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers, but I do know that the coaches are not saying to their players, all right, guys, let's all try to give at least 50% next Sunday so at least we don't embarrass ourselves. Now, they're telling you, you're all in. You get out there, and, and you know that you can win, and you do your very best. Here's something else that's in uh, chapter 6 that I really like. Going through the doors that God opens for us is not usually what we imagine. Left-hand column. You, here's what we imagine is going to happen if we do what God wants us to do. There's a calling from God. I have this deep feeling of peace that this is for sure what God wants me to do. I make the decision to obey and it's just grand and wonderful and, 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 and you know, the skies light up and, and people are falling in front of me because they see what a great person I am. No, more often than not, it's like this. Uh, instead, it's usually a calling from God followed by abject terror. Oh, no, I can't possibly do this. 
I'll look terrible. I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to have to sacrifice to do that. There'll be pain involved in doing this. Number three, decision to obey. But I know it's the right thing to do. By the way, it's not all bad stuff following God. I'm just saying it's not all good stuff either. Number four, big problems. So you follow and, and boy, there's more to this than I thought. If I'd really known what was going to be involved, I may never have tried this particular thing here. More terror, second thoughts. Go those, through those steps several times and you learn and you grow in faith and you accomplish something great for God. When you accomplish something great, it's never an easy thing. There's always an all-in commitment that's involved in it. Many of you who are here may or may not be aware of the fact that this church, Milestone Church, was founded in 1922 in the Brownsville area of Pensacola. The original name was Emmanuel Baptist Church. In the 1940s, most of us were still not born yet at that time, but 1940s, the name was changed to First Missionary Baptist Church, and the buildings were at 615 North W Street. In 1972, long before I came on the scene, the year Gene and I got married, in 1972, the church voted to relocate from that Brownsville area. And they bought property in the Myrtle Grove area, and they built a house on that property, but did not move the church building in the church congregation even though most of the leadership and most of the membership felt that moving would be in God's will and would be a better thing. It never happened because it was hard and it was risky and some people didn't want to do it. In 1993, after I'd been around for about four years, we began to study the purposes for existence and in 1994, we voted once again to sell everything we had and to relocate and there was controversy rather than peace and hurtful things were said among friends. And I can remember sitting in Raymond C.'s living room, my, one of my best buddies ever, and he said to me, I wish we'd never started this because it was hard. And he wasn't the only person that felt that way. And we sold everything we had, and we didn't know exactly where we were going. Uh, but we finally ended up with this piece of property and we started building this building. And I can remember sitting at Cracker Barrel, Gene and I with a pastor, missionary friend and his wife. And I looked across the table at this guy and I said, I wonder, I was having second thoughts, really late for second thoughts. I wonder if I've just led this group to sell everything they had and, and go into debt. And, that, and that's the only thing that's really happening here. We'd already, we were $100,000 in debt and we sold everything but we were a half a million dollars in debt by the time we moved into this particular building. Well, there were all kinds of doubts and fears, but enthusiasm grew and new people came in and the new building was completed and it was paid for and, and, and faith grew and God was at work and everybody was excited about the income and the outcome, excuse me, not the income, but the outcome. And now each of us looks forward to the new year, right? What door is God gonna open you for you this year, something that might scare you, something that you might say, I, I don't think I can do that. What doors will God open for us as a church that might scare us? You know, I've said a lot of times, and I firmly believe it, if you're not, uh, if you're not a little bit afraid, you're not walking by faith because there's fear involved in faith. And how will we go through those doors? Whatever those doors may be, God wants us to go through 
them with faith in him, love for others, and with enthusiasm, with wholehearted commitment. Just say, God, you brought us through this thing, and I'm scared out of my mind, and I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I'm 100% committed. He wants us to fully commit ourselves to him, even though things are never going to be perfect. For today, we're going to look at a, a verse of scripture where Jesus describes how he sent out for the very first time the original 12 apostles, the 12 guys that were with him throughout his ministry. Early in his ministry, and this is described in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not John, but the first three gospels, the first three biographies of Jesus in the New Testament, talks about how he takes the 12 guys there and he pairs them up two by two and he sends them out. John Ortberg brings out the fact that he doesn't tell us who, who's paired together and where they go, just two by two, and they went out. And his instructions are more about how they were going to go rather than where they were going to go. While Jesus, by the way, and, and he tells them, uh, go only to Jewish people. Uh, that may seem kind of odd to us today, but while Jesus responded favorably to non-Jewish people during his ministry, the full preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles uh, wasn't commanded until after the resurrection of Jesus. And if you read the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll see that Jesus said, go and don't take any extra supplies with you and don't take a sword with you. Expect that wherever you go in these Jewish cities, these Jewish families will take you in and take care of you. Now, by the way, shortly before Jesus' crucifixion, Matter of fact, the night of his betrayal, he was talking to these same guys again without Judas Iscariot. And he told them, okay, guys, things have changed and, th and things are going to be different now. You're going out into a hostile world. Take some extra supplies this time. Who has a sword? Two guys had a sword. Two, two should be enough. Evidently, uh, you know, you're going to be traveling cross country. There's going to be some bad guys out there. You need to be able to defend themselves. Uh, so those kind of instructions changed. But the instructions about the how he was sending them seemed to be general instructions. They seem to be instructions even for us today. And the how that Jesus talked about helps us go through the door with enthusiasm. The how helps us go through the door wholeheartedly. And here's this simple statement that Jesus made to the 12 when he first sent them out. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 16. He says... I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. I'm not going to put this other scripture uh, on the screen, by the way, but earlier uh, he'd been talking about, about sheep and wolves, and he said, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ferocious wolves. That's not what I want you to be. I want you to be the real sheep who going out amongst the real uh, wolves. So Jesus sends us out, and there's three animals mentioned here. Here's the first thing. Jesus sends us out like sheep among wolves. That's the first key. First thing we need to know, if we're going to go through this door with enthusiasm, if you've been a follower of Christ for long or have read scripture very much, then you know that Jesus often refers to his followers, to you and to me, as sheep. In the Old Testament, God calls the nation of Israel, my sheep. In the New Testament, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd and calls his followers, my sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. 
My sheep listen to my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Twice in John's gospel, John calls Jesus the Lamb of God. Once he calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Still, in general, I don't know how it is in Australia, but in the U.S., we don't have a particularly high value on sheep or a high opinion of sheep. We don't even eat it around our house. Gene's not having anything to do with any, uh, any lamb meat or any sheep meat. But we prefer things like warrior, lion. You know, we want the fierce kind of things, names of power. How, by the way, I think it's probably a good idea for us to realize that sheep are maybe a lot tougher than we think. They're not stupid and they're not cowardly. <clears throat> I was reading about them a little bit. They, they're surprisingly intelligent. They build friendships with each other and they stand up for each other. They don't follow you blindly just because you're the shepherd. As a matter of fact, more, most shepherds have a dog that, that shows the sheep where to go. Uh, but if you, if you show them that you're gonna take care of them, they will follow you. And by the way, there's more than one kind of sheep. I love the picture down there's a sheep. If you had that one in the lower left-hand corner looking your eyeball to eyeball, you might not think he was such a, a pushover. But we think more about the, the picture in the upper right. But here's what I'm going to say. Regardless of which kind of sheep you're looking at there, sheep are a prey species, P-R-E-Y species. Uh, <clears throat> that is, they don't go eating other animals. Other animals hunt them down and eat them. The flock mentality of sheep protects them as individuals from predators. They don't kill and eat other animals. Other animals, predator animals, animals kill and eat them. And so when Jesus said this, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, he's saying to us, I'm sending you into a hostile environment. I'm not sending you out to beat people up. I'm not sending you out to eat people up. I'm not sending you out to overpower people. I'm not sending you out to conquer people. That's his job. I'm sending you out in a hostile environment. The more common image, by the way, would be of, of a wolf sneaking up and jumping into the middle of, of, of a herd of sheep. Yet Jesus, the good shepherd, sends his sheep, whom he's sworn to protect, out among the wolves. How? How should a sheep? That would be you and me. How should we go among wolves? John Ortberg says very carefully, very humbly. It takes faith. It takes courage, first of all, as a sheep to walk out among the wolves. It takes faith to believe that the good shepherd is there for you. It takes humility to care about the wolves. It takes love for others. Ortberg says this, to be sent as a sheep means I don't lead with how smart or strong or impressive I am. The sheep doesn't go out and say, hey wolves, I'm better than you are and I'm here to straighten you out. That's what we Christians do a lot of times. But that's not what a sheep would do among wolves. Sheep who go among wolves wholeheartedly, that is with their whole heart, they just hang it all out there, are vulnerable to attack, to disappointment, into failure, and that happens a lot of times. When you walk through a door, there's disappointment and failure, and sometimes you get attacked. But in Jesus, vulnerable is more powerful than invulnerable. That's one of the opposites that exist in Jesus. Vulnerable is powerful, and invulnerable is not. Christians in churches are at their best when they're in God's strength in, in our own 
vulnerability. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Christianity has gotten itself in its biggest problems when it had political power and monetary power. So I send you out as sheep among wolves. And then Jesus gives us a little inf more information about going out wholeheartedly as sheep among wolves. Second thing he says, be shrewd as snakes. Be shrewd as snakes. The, back in Matthew 10, 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes. Wait a minute. I thought the devil was the snake, right? Jesus is the lamb, a lion in the lamb. I thought it was the devil that was the, the snake. And he is. But we're talking about snakes, just like all other animals, have some good characteristics. Other translations see, say be as wise as serpents or as smart as snakes. The idea is that as we go out as sheep among wolves, we are vulnerable. And so we need to be smart, like a snake is cunning and smart. We need to go out intelligently, wide awake, aware of ourselves, aware of our surroundings. We need to think about things like strategy and tactics and the best methods for being effective. We don't just charge out there blindly hoping for the best. We're to be serious about being effective. This, this door that God opens for us is a serious door. It's what life is all about. As we go, wise as a snake, smart as a snake, we're to be aware of our circumstances and careful in everything. Uh, I don't know a lot about snakes because I stay away from them as much as possible, but I know one thing. I've looked up a lot of times and there was one right there. You know, he was just, they just know how to hide. They're just right there and you never know where they are. So be smart as snakes. And then one more thing. Number three, be as innocent as doves. Again, back in Matthew 10, 16, Jesus said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, as, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Doves are birds of peace and uh, tranquility and things of that nature. They're not pushovers, by the way. They're a lot tougher than they appear. But doves are not birds of prey. They don't go knocking other birds out of the sky. Hawks, eagles, and so forth try to knock them out of the sky. Be as innocent as doves or as harmless as doves. It seems to be the opposite of the nature of the snake. Be smart like a snake, but don't be harmful like a snake. Don't be a predator like a snake. The idea here seems to be that we should be people of innocence and peace. We're not out to take advantage of anybody. We're not out to fool anybody. We're not out to hurt anybody. That's not our job. Jesus said, Matthew 6, 10, 16, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. The open doors that we're talking about for this month and next month are opportunities provided by God to act with God and for God. And going through those doors is something you can do. You can do it. I know a lot of times we think, yeah, maybe I can. I don't know if I want to or not, or I don't think I can. But you can do it if you will trust Jesus with all your heart. If you will love others with all your heart. And if you will just step through that door committed with all your heart. And by the way, please don't get discouraged 
if uh, you're scared. <laughs> uh, you should be. You know, smart people get scared sometimes. Uh, sometimes we use that as an excuse to quit. I never should have started this. That's human. Fear, discouragement are present in every person that God describes in Scripture. And John Ortberg describes a lot of them in his chapters. I'm going to close this morning by uh, talking about a guy, uh, one of God's number one prophets in the Old Testament. He didn't get a book of the Bible named after him like a lot of them did. Uh, but he's got one of God's number one prophets. We've, we talked about him in our 9 o'clock Bible study class on Sunday mornings. But this guy's name is Elijah. Uh, Elijah was God's main prophet during the rule of one of Israel's wick, most wicked king. His name was Ahab. And you probably know Ahab's wife even better than you know Ahab because her name was Jezebel. Elijah fearlessly confronted Ahab. He prayed uh, under God's command that it did, wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain for three years in Israel. He was fed and protected by God and encouraged everybody he came in contact with to be people of courage, be courageous. He defeated 850 false prophets, prophets of Baal and Asherah and Mount Carmel. He prayed for rain after three, three and a half years, and the rain came back again. He was riding high. He saw the work of God in amazing ways. But right after he had that great victory on, on Mount Carmel, and right after the rain came, Queen Jezebel sent him a little message that evening. And she said, I'm going to get you, buddy. I am after you, and you cannot get away from me. And you know what he did? He trusted in God and said, nothing can touch me. No, that's not what he ran for his life is what he did. Here's what Scripture says, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there. So he started way up north in Israel, came all the way through Israel, all the way through Judah, southernmost city, uh, in Judah, the city of Beersheba, and he left his servant there, and he went on way out into the desert. Verse 4, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, about probably another 15 miles or so, he came to a broom bush, which is a natural growth over there, provides a little shade, but not a lot. He sat down under it, and what did he do? He prayed that he might die. All this great stuff, this great man of God, you know, we just, we, we're, we're thinking, Man, Elijah, you're letting us down here, buddy. You're such a great example, and now you're quitting. And he said, I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. I'm quitting. That's it. It's all over with for me. I can't do this. I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I keep failing, and I'm just not going to do it anymore. And he lay down and went to sleep. You know what God did to him? He sent an angel to him with some food. And the angel woke him up. And he ate, and the angel let him go back to sleep again. And then God sent the angel back to him again with some more food. And once Elijah's strength had returned, God said, come meet me on top of Mount Sinai, the place where I gave the law to Israel to start with. And uh, he could have probably made it there in a week or two, but uh, he wandered around in the desert for 40 days, you know, kind of like the 40 years of the Israelites, for 40 days, 40 days to walk around and to think about God, and to think about himself, and, and, and I think to be as wise as a serpent, to understand what all of his circumstances were. 
And then once he got to the mountain, God let him sleep some more. Three times God let him sleep. Twice God just fed him really well. And then God came and he spoke to Elijah in a gentle whisper and encouraged Elijah back into his service again. And, and that's what Elijah did. He went back to work uh, after that time. I, re- I, I, I bring that up to encourage you. When you get tired, when you feel like quitting, Here's what you can do. Get some rest. That's what Elijah did. He had to sleep for days. Get some rest. Go on a vacation. Get out of town. But rest. Get some good nourishment. Quit eating all that junk food. Eat some good, nourishing food. And then ask God for his help. Maybe all along, be asking God for his help. And then go talk to some people that you trust for their spiritual wisdom, and then get back at it. Renew your efforts. Everybody needs a little rest sometimes. Everybody needs a vacation. Jesus rested. Rest, eat, talk to the right people, talk to God, get rejuvenated. Don't quit. Wholeheartedly do the work that Jesus wants you to do. When we go in it half-heartedly, It's a lot more tiring. You want to quit a lot sooner. Just go full bore all in on what God wants you to do. And when you get tired, rest. And when you get hungry, eat some good food. And when you get lonely, talk to some good people. And always be talking to God. Let's pray. Father, I know you're here with us today, and I thank you. We have this great privilege. And we can talk to you anytime we want. Grant us the grace to do that, and then grant us the wisdom to stop and listen to what you have to say. Let us know who our real friends are, who can we trust, who has wisdom uh, to speak good things into our lives. Guide us in wholeheartedly, with, with our whole self, walking through the door you open for us, in Jesus' name.